Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. Good group here today. If you are watching the video right now, uh, you are really um, part of an unedited version of a podcast, which we call the EquipCast here from the Archdiocese of Omaha. Uh, it is May 15th, and uh, this is episode number 14, I think, for the EquipCast. Mm-hmm. I'm Father Jeff Lorig. I am joined by my co-host, Jim Jansen. He's the Director of Evangelization and Catechesis. Hey, everybody. So again, if you're, you're on live with us today, we really want to encourage you to use our chat room, ask questions, make comments, uh, meet some new people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we love it when you ask a question. Uh, It's not just fun, but it also uses your influence to shape the conversation that we're having. Uh, Would love it if uh, you could just go ahead and and, and check in. If you're you're just kind of checking in right now, you can just let us know which parish you're from. We record this podcast, which we call the EquipCast, live every Friday at 3.30 p.m. Central Time. And uh, so you can go ahead and put a placeholder in your calendar uh, and to remind yourself uh, that this conversation is happening pretty much every Friday and everybody's welcome to be a part mm-hmm. of it. It will usually last around 30 to 45 minutes. And if you're not able to join us live, you can always subscribe to the podcast because that's mainly what we're trying to get done here is create a podcast. I just saw Father Dave Reason check in from his... Uh, that is an impressive yeah. uh, quarantine beard. You yeah. look awesome, Father. Yeah. They, didn't ban, uh, they, didn't, <laughs> they didn't ban razors, Father. <laughs> Father, I'm gonna I'm put you on mute, but it's good to see you. Uh, uh, so it's a it's a podcast. You're basically listening to a podcast that's, that's being uh, recorded, uh, but we do it live, and so it's fun to have a crowd here. Um, you can always find that podcast uh, on your favorite podcast platform, Apple, Google Play, and you just search EquipCast. It's all one word. Uh, also, you can never miss a, an update of what we're doing here. Uh, we're just trying to have a conversation every week uh, about pastoral issues. Uh, so the, the way you, you can never miss out on something is by subscribing to the podcast or subscribing to uh, our email and basically the blog. Uh, so every time we have a new blog post, we'll let you know that there's something new or there's a new podcast or something like that. And that's, that can be found at equip.archomaha.org. And also our good friend, Whitney Bradley, coworker uh, who helps hey, us Whitney. out. She's a, uh, we call her our producer. She helps put the, the, some show notes together. So after this is all done, uh, she'll uh, post some things up on our, our blog at equip.archomaha.org so you can find some of the, the notes and websites we were talking about. So that is it. Uh, as an introduction, Jim, I, uh, the reason why we're talking today is because I've, I've been reading a book. <gasps> yeah, shocker, huh? And yeah, for those of you who don't know Father, like Father is a voracious learner and reader, and every time Father Lorig reads a book, something happens. <laughs> something happened. Usually I want to share it with somebody. And so this is just really me uh, outputting all the stuff I input on a regular basis. And especially if there are, there are books that are, are really impactful for me. And mm-hmm. I really feel like, my gosh, I want to change the way I do things. And it's because it's changing the way I'm thinking about things. And so I read a book recently called Church Money, and it's by mm-hmm. Father Michael White and Tom Cochran. And they are from a, a, a parish in, in Maryland, and mm-hmm. it's called the Church Nativity. And uh, it's, uh, they, they wrote the book Rebuilt. And that, I mean, I, I read the book. 
it was good. It's not my favorite sort of divine renovation book because divine renovation is my favorite divine renovation book. Uh, but it's, it's good. I've learned a lot. I should probably go back and reread it. But I, so I wasn't expecting much from this book, but when I read it, it, it really uh, changed the way I thought about raising money in a parish. I have been a pastor before uh, yeah. and uh, I'll someday be a pastor again. And I was just never comfortable talking about money mm-hmm. uh, because I didn't want to be the priest who uh, always talked about money because you hear, you hear people complain. You hear pastors complain about people who complain about them. Mm. Father, all you do is talk about money. Rah, rah, rah. That's not, that might sound like one of our, our, you might know who that is, one of our pastors. Why are you talking <laughs> about money? That's, uh, yeah, so uh, I don't want to be that guy. And I, I, sometimes I just want the attitude, I, I want to kind of carry that attitude of, well, God will just take yeah. care of it, right? You know, if, if I just am a, a holy pastor and I'm not, you know, shaking the boat too much, uh, then maybe, maybe, uh, you know, God will just take care of it and the, the coffers will get filled and we'll be able to, to fuel our ministry. But this, this book really changed the way uh, I've been thinking about things. Well, Father, why don't you, why don't you tell us about it? Cause I'm sure you are, I'm sure you're not the only one that, that feels some of these things. Thankfully, our impressions are bad enough that we can make impressions of some of our favorite pastors and, and ministers throughout the Archdiocese, and nobody really knows who we're talking about because our impressions aren't that good. So, um, But why don't you tell us, like, what, what are you going to do different after reading this book? Well, I think uh, the first thing I'll do is preach about money. Um, so we, we appeal for money, but we really preach about money. And mm-hmm. God's, God has a lot to say about money. Uh, so when you read the scriptures, it's just, it's full of people doing things with money. Uh, it even starts re- re- like really right at, at the beginning. Uh, Cain and Abel, right? Make an offering. Uh, yeah. Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, they all make uh, financial offerings. Uh, now Jesus never really taught about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's because it was so ingrained in the culture. So you, you, this, this idea of like really mm-hmm. thinking about how you, um, how money is a very spiritual thing. Uh, and, and I think we've heard that before, mm-hmm. but I've, I don't know if I've ever really preached on it. And I've certainly never, if I did, maybe it was because I was, I needed something. <laughs> so, uh, so I, I might've done sort of a little speech to maybe get people thinking about it. But, uh, but this, uh, the, the book there, uh, Father Michael White is the author. He uh, says every time money is mentioned in the, the lectionary, he preaches about it because it is, it is mm. such a spiritual issue. Yeah. You know, it's cool to hear you say that, Father, because I know, you know, I can see Shannon Brommer on the screen, and I know our stewardship folks. Uh, there's a, a really cool study that the University of Notre Dame did uh, not too long ago, and they actually studied Catholic giving. Um, many, you know, if you've, if you've been working in the Catholic church in any sort of capacity for giving, you know, the stats for uh, Catholic giving um, don't, don't typically compare well uh, across de- denominations. And so they studied that and they looked at it. And one of the things that they found out was part of the reason Catholics stink at giving is that we compartmentalize money as some other secular thing, and we don't bring it into the realm of our life as disciples. Yeah, what, one way to think about it is that money represents the greatest competition God faces for our hearts. Uh, you, you think oh my about goodness, that. I'm sorry. Wait, wait, wait. Say yeah. that again. What? So this is, I'm pulling everything out of the book. This, I don't have an original thought and haven't had one since 1962. That's okay. It's very quotable. Go with it. Okay. Money represents the greatest competition 
God faces for our hearts. There's such a competition for our hearts and money is the thing that probably is, is competing for it the most. Um, so, you know, we read in Luke's gospel as he introduces the parable of the rich fool, Jesus teaching, take care to guard against all greed for though one may be rich, one's life does not consist of possessions. And I've certainly preached on that. Like, you know, don't let your possessions possess you. I've, I've given that homily. I'm sure Father Reason has as well. Uh, but there's a great opportunity to talk about, well, what is money like in your life? And, and what goes on between you and God and money? And uh, it's just, again, you could, you, could, you could do a whole series on, on just that. Like God's competition uh, is money for your heart. Um, and so money, money can move the heart in the right direction. It can certainly take it in the wrong direction. We always kind of talk about that, like don't let greed dominate your heart. Mm-hmm. But it also, it's not just kind of preventing failure. Um, money can actually be a great blessing. It can move the heart in, in the right direction. Now, Father, you've, been, you've yeah. been a pastor. Have you seen that? I mean, can you reflect back on times where you've seen someone's change in attitudes about money further their walk with the Lord? Uh, my own, I'll start there. Uh, when, when I was a young priest and I like got a paycheck for the first time, uh, I didn't really know how to tithe and I didn't really, I didn't know if I was supposed to, cause you know, I gave up uh, marriage. So I thought maybe that'd be enough. <laughs> so I wouldn't have to give any, any money up. Yeah, that's I, a pri- that's a priceless, you know, big, big <laughs> ticket item. Sure. I, I thought so. So, you know, at least I could have some other things like a nice car and whatnot, uh, maybe a boat. Um, but uh, I remember talking to uh, then Father Hannafelt. I remember distinctly we were in his Ford Taurus. We were probably driving to St. James. I was his associate at uh, St. Elizabeth Ann. And I talked to, I asked him about money and, and he said, gosh, you know, the more I give, the more I receive. And the way he said it, I believed him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like he, he just has, there's a, he definitely has positivity, that, that contagious enthusiasm. Yeah. And and, and I've, I've experienced that. So from that day on, I couldn't do the 10% because I wasn't quite set up financially. Um, but I just made a commitment uh, to, to, to make sure that I was giving something. Um, but then, and then every year I kind of give a little bit more. And then actually at tax time, I realized, you know, like, oh, I thought I had given a lot. Uh, so I counted all, you know, what I, what I had given. Realized I didn't, I wasn't even given all that much. I just thought I was. So I started doing the ACH, you know, the automatic. Hmm. And, uh, and, and, and now I just, I, if, like the more I give, the, the more it seems like I have in my account. So I, um, so I just feel like the more it's just, I should probably keep doing that. Um, uh, and, and, and plus it, I would, you know, if you ever listen to Dave Ramsey, he talks about like how fun it is to give money away. So if I can do that more, um, that's fun. And I, I become a blessing for somebody else. So Father Hannafel, I, I, see, I saw it in his life, he witnessed that to me. And then, and I think I've, I've been experiencing, and I think I have a lot, a lot more. I can, I think I can go beyond my, my tithe uh, for sure. Um, but it's a, that's yeah. why it's such a spiritual thing. Yeah. Not just uh, what's economically right for me. It's how can I be more of a blessing to others? And I think, again, things I'd love to preach on. Yeah, uh, for sure. It, Father, I don't think, I was just talking to a friend last night, uh, shout out to uh, Mike Owens, um, who some of you know is a financial planner in town. And Mike, literally, I mean, literally just said the exact same thing. He, he's like, the more I give, it seems like the Lord, the Lord replaces and replenishes and increases it. Um, and it's a joy. I mean, it is such a joy to give, but we, we forget to call people to that and to invite people to that. Yeah. And, uh, I, I'd say the other thing I, I probably get uncomfortable with is, is, uh, developing relationships where, mm. uh, 
with people who are fan who can financially impact the mission of the church. Uh, so I've been sort of afraid to like, you know, be buddies with the rich people in the parish. Uh, I didn't, you know, I never wanted to show partiality. I think that's in scripture as well. Sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I, I'm really uncomfortable with it. Uh, I grew up in a very democratic family. Uh, so, you know, like hate the rich or like, you know, root for the poor kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's definitely in, in my blood. So when I see like kind of the, the wealthy people getting uh, so extra treatment, extra relationship, it just really, uh, so I really um, thought that I didn't want to do that. And yet after reading this book, I think I want to develop relationships with people who can financially impact the mission of the church. Why? Because funding the mission is crucial. Yeah. Can I stop you there before, before we move on? Like that's father, I think what you're saying is a really common experience, even if somebody (laughs) doesn't have the same, same background or same biases. Um, I mean, right. It is like, that's like, that's like the one prejudice that is, well, it's not the only prejudice, but it's one of the prejudices is safe. It's like, oh, it's okay, it's okay to hate, hate rich people. How do, you, how do you move beyond that? Like, what did, this, what, did, what did this book say that changed your mind so that you're like, oh, wow, I want to draw close to them? Because that's a major shift you're talking about. Yeah, um, it's, it was this one sentence. Uh, so I use Kindle. And uh, so you can see what other people are highlighting. Nobody was highlighting this one, but this one stuck out for me. It's because, and it was just the reason why they did it. And I, maybe it was a throwaway line, but it was not for me. It was funding the mission is crucial. So I believe in the mission, right? The mission mm-hmm. that uh, if we unleash the gospel through the people, through God's people, it'll reach more people. That is the mission. And I, and the, the way that that can happen is that to partner with people who can help you do it. Um, but so keeping your motives pure. It's not about like butting up, chumming up to the people who are rich so you can be, you know, significant in their eyes. No, it's for me, it's the funding the mission is crucial for the, for, for impacting the kingdom. Uh, so we, we want to keep our motives pure. Uh, and the scripture does talk about showing no partiality. Um, mm-hmm. But that's, you know, when it comes to worship, uh, when investing in relationships with a few, that's a Jesus thing. So when we invest in, in, in a relationship, mm-hmm. really for discipleship, helping the wealthy to grow in their own discipleship in the way that they're gifted to do it uh, with the gifts that they have, it's a way in which you can help them to grow in their discipleship. Uh, so that, that, that just, that's this idea of like investing in a relationship mm-hmm. that, that will impact the kingdom, that'll impact the mission. That's what Jesus did that all the time. Well, and you know, I wonder if that's part of the key to keeping the keeping the relationship uh, to keep in our motives pure yeah. is the reason I'm, I'm cultivating this relationship isn't for influence or to feel important or because these people are nice or more fun or throw better parties than my other parishioners. It's that these people too, number one, these people, I'm funding the mission. I'm not funding myself. And two, there's a pastoral need. I mean, I, I remember I, I sat through a um, honestly very boring uh, presentation from an accountant once, but at the very start of the presentation, uh, this person listed off these quotes from like Vanderbilt and Carnegie and all these like, you know, robber baron, uh, you know, crazy wealthy men. And again and again and again, all of the quotes said basically the same thing. My wealth has been the curse of my life this is a burden. And 
to come alongside them as a pastor and say, let me show you how Jesus is going to help you carry this burden, right? Let, let me show you that what you've been given can be a gift and actually can become an expression of your love for the Lord and not simply something that draws your heart away from God. Yeah, I think, you know, if you have power or if you have money, you question everybody's motives uh, when they want to be friends with you. I certainly felt that when mm-hmm. I came into my job here, like, okay, I kind of have an important position and I'm on the Archbishop's leadership team. And then when people were nice to me or they're calling me for stuff, I thought, are they really like... So Does it happen it, very often? Are people nice to you? Yeah, but... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, sometimes uh, for the most part, yeah. But I just yeah. could never like figure out people's motives, why they wanted to be friends with me, why were they chumming up with me, and uh, and I would imagine that that's the same way it is for if you're a wealthy person. You're you're sort of yeah. always kind of wondering about um, what that is. Now the book goes into great detail about how to do that, and you know, like how you manage those relationships, how you how you're really transparent with them. You you when you when you develop relationships and manage the relationship, you know, you have lunch, it doesn't always have to be for an ask, um, but be transparent about like, uh, you can be a blessing uh, for this yeah. parish. Uh, so I, again, things I, things they didn't teach you in seminary, um, but that are. Not, <laughs> That's a whole show. <laughs> yeah. There's a, actually there's another podcast. If you ever want to listen to it called unseminary, uh, basically everything you missed or they didn't teach you in seminary, which I've been listening to a lot lately. Uh, anyway. Um, so, yeah, just uh, I, I want to. I, I definitely will need help because I don't think I'm not naturally extroverted. I don't just. Mm-hmm. I'm not just going to jump. Hey, want to have lunch? Like I'm not usually that kind of person, unless like you know the mission is crucial. Then I'll do whatever it takes. But mm-hmm. usually, if I can help somebody else in the office, help me set those really, those those lunches up and help me to understand and you know coach me, which I, I have mm-hmm. asked Shannon to, to do for me a few times when we were getting ready for Arch Omaha Unite. And th- those mm-hmm. were. Uh, successful coaching situations. Uh, so she's also available for any other pastor or parish or uh, anybody mm-hmm. who wants some help uh, in in managing, developing, um, treasuring these these relationships uh, to to fuel the mission. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, should we move on to another one? Yeah. To, okay. okay. What else are you going to do? Uh, a stewardship Sunday. I think that might sound lame to a lot of people. Oh, stewardship Sunday, because I've been a part of a few of them. Uh, I find I find them tedious. Uh, I've done them as a pastor. Time, talent, treasure, everybody fill out a form. Uh, I think what I'm going to do differently though uh, next time is tell them that's coming up. Uh, Give them a chance to plan and not just which, kind of mess, which parish they go to that weekend is that what you mean? <laughs> yeah i just uh let the, what the book describes is it becomes actually one of the the um biggest celebrations of their year because mm-hmm. they they talk about not what they need they, they certainly they go over their budget a little bit but they talk about um, where mm. this is going and it's going towards a vision. It's going towards a mission. So they have mission moments. Mm. They have videos of, of things that they're doing. Uh, so it's kind of all tied in a, and they don't do the, the time and the talent form, right? Cause they really just want to talk about money. Um, because it, the time talent can, can be an easy excuse to kind of, well, you know, I give my time and my talent. Um, they really focus on the money because it is such a spiritual, uh, thing. It's, 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 it's a, it can be a means to growing in mm. discipleship. So they, that's that I thought was unique. Just focus on money, on the treasure, not on the time and the That's talent. Huge. That sounds quasi heretical, right? In in that we always we always put those three together. But you're saying when they do stewardship Sunday, 
they, they figure out how to engage people's talents and their time, other places and means. When they do Stewardship Sunday, they talk about giving. Right. Yeah. Wow. And, and they, they paint a vision of the, of the difference their giving can accomplish for, the lives, for their own lives, for their lives, and the lives of others. I think that that part is key. Whenever we do, you know, we, I know we're kind of, we get stuck in the rut of just fundraising and we have this song and dance that we put on and, and, and we, you know, fish fry this, uh, whatever, you know, magazine sale, that. Um, and it's always just some sort of funding a need. Um, but, but when you paint a picture of the difference, when I make that offering, it's going to make a difference for the kingdom. Now that I can get excited about. Um, and I think there's something about planning too. Uh, so if you're telling them way ahead of time and everybody knows, actually they do it the, uh, the weekend before Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so if I get in the parish, you'll be, you'll, you don't have to wonder when it's going to be. It's probably going to be that weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the weekend before Thanksgiving, because people are sort of getting, getting in the, the giving mood anyway, because it's close to Christmas. People are grateful because everything begins with gratitude because we know that all the, the gifts that we have are all gifts, right? They're not something we own. We're just stewards of them. So it's, it's kind of a good timing. And, uh, but they build it up. They give, you know, they, they, they talk about it. Here, it's, it's coming, it's coming. And they, they do the, the mission moments all leading up to it with those videos. Um, because if you, I've been part of it where, you know, you, you put the form out there and you're kind of quickly going through a homily. Nobody's listening to your homily because they're filling out the form because it's too laborious. And it's like, oh, I guess I'll sign up for the, the funeral this or, you know, it's just, I guess my kid will be an, uh, a server this year. And it's like, oh, like it just takes away from, from everything. So giving people a chance to plan. And, and so they get the cards like the week before and they're thinking about it and they can put it in the okay. Sunday, they can throw it in the Sunday collection. So there's a lot of practicalities to it, but it's, uh, I just, I thought it was, it's genius. And it's, there's something about just making the ask too, just ask. Well, and you know, father, again, we met, I mentioned that Notre Dame survey, but mm-hmm. this isn't just theory, right? This isn't just right. Well, maybe it just works in Timonium, Maryland. <laughs> like this isn't just theory. The research from that Notre Dame study found that when two things, right? If, okay, we have to create a culture where money is reclaimed as a spiritual reality. And then two, when we ask, we have to ask for the mission. Um, and if you're, if you're a nerd and you want to get into this, the, like by generation, right? By demographics, right? So baby boomers on down to like, you know, millennials and then iGens, the deeper you go in the generations or the younger you go, their desire to give because of mission is like, that's how you engage the young in giving. They want to give to mission. Um, and for whatever reason, baby boomers are still you know, motivated by brick and mortar and by, uh, and by need. But our ability to reach younger generations for giving, um, yes, and part of it is we have to make it easy. We have to make it you know, on their phone. We have to reach them where they're at. I mean, we just had a conversation, shout out to Whitney, the producer. Um, we won't say what generation she is, but she, you, you might be able to guess what generation she is. She says, I never carry cash. I couldn't drop something in the plate if I wanted to. Um, so yes, we have to make it easy where people give right, electronically, but we also have to make it easy by, by going after right, their hearts and helping them see how their giving is actually changing lives. Yeah, so what, what uh, they do at Church of Nativity is they, they focus on the future. Uh, that's why they don't talk too much about their budget. They kind of talk about, you know, expenses, income, where they're at for the year. That's as much as they talk about the past. 
they have a meeting yeah. later on that afternoon for like an open business meeting. Everybody can take a deep dive into the, the budget from the previous year. They Ooh, said, that nobody, sounds exciting. They said nobody shows up for it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, it but it's completely transparent. Anybody can look it, at yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so at the, at the Sturgeon Sunday, all, they really focus on the future, not on the past. So yeah. I, th I think those are the good tips to kind of think about. Yeah. Uh, and th yeah, just uh, they put rungs on the ladder too. So the tithing thing is, is Wait, important. What do, mean, what do you mean rungs on the ladder? Rungs on the ladder, meaning like there's, there's steps you could take. So like I said, when I was a, a baby priest, I wasn't quite ready to go to the 10%. Um, so I found a, some rung on the ladder, maybe a, a lot lower than 10%, and I could start there. And then the encouragement is to, if you gave this last year, think about giving a little bit more, going up to another level. You know, mm. you see that in the annual appeal every year where that Shannon sends That's out. Nice. You see, hey, you give this, we think you could give this. And, and mm. uh, I think they actually give a, a, an amount on, that, on the card you get. But uh, I don't know if they do that at uh, Church and Nativity, but they really just have people really think about, you know, this is what you gave last year. Is there a way you could maybe take it to another level to give more of yourself uh, in, uh, in of your of your of your money uh, as a to fuel the mission? So, mm. Father, uh, can I bring something in from the the chat room? Here? Yeah, there's a conversation kind of exploding about the the millennials, and uh, <laughs> somebody somebody pointed out that like the genius of talking just about money is that millennials especially have this like segmented divided notion of money from the rest of their lives. And so they tend to, if you talk about time, talent, and treasure, they're like, oh, great. And all they do is give their, maybe their time and their talent. And so if we want to actually help like make disciples of millennials in the next generation, we actually have to talk about money in a clear and undistracted way. Because mm. nobody, mm. el nobody else is. And I would actually make the case, I think they're starving for it. Like, has anybody noticed how like food and fashion have suddenly become like philanthropic or like, like, like charity things? It's like, oh, I'm going to buy this coffee because this coffee is fair trade. And this coffee, you know, or when I buy this pair of shoes, um, they're really not that attractive and they're certainly not comfortable. But this pair of shoes, you know, helps, uh, helps poor people. Um, I, I, and I think that's awesome. Yeah. But I think it's crazy that like, fashion designers and you know food marketers have figured out how to tap in to the millennial desire to be a part of something bigger and greater and yet the most natural place in the world um yeah we're by the way we're a part of this global organization that exists to transform the world uh and yet we're we're not doing it i was we're just asking them to pave the parking lot i was just perusing the uh saint robert's website uh, investigating their, their, they're calling it a tithe and drive or drive and tithe. And uh, so they're doing, um, obviously we know we're kind of struggling to do Sunday collections since we haven't had mass in a while. Um, so what they decided to do is kind of put an hour together, like 10 to 11 on Sunday morning, have all the priests and volunteers kind of stand out there and wave. And it's a way for people to tithe, to bring their, their tithe uh, as they drive. But also what St. Roberts is doing is they're, they're, they've asked them to bring like uh, food uh, for the food pantry and stuff like that. So tie it into something yeah. that's uh, like a, a work of mercy as well. So that's been really successful for them. They're actually, I can't remember, is it 10, they're, they're ahead on their Sunday collections, 10% wow. at this time right now than they were last year. Isn't that, that's crazy. That's, mm -hmm. um, they also have this neat thing. So their, uh, their online giving is called green giving. So they kind of tie it into the whole green movement. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Green giving. 
because uh, it's you know because you're not using paper. Yeah, so it's beautiful. You know, it's tapping into that that, well, that sensibility, and it's making it easy, and it's and it's and it's like clustering motivations, right? Mm-hmm. I, it's like okay, I wanna I wanna help, I wanna save the world, I wanna save the environment. Um, that's awesome. Let's move on to the next one. You ready? Yeah. What do you got? What do you got? What okay. else are you gonna do? Well, uh, I don't know if this how this is gonna go, but. Uh, <laughs> It's it's the, actually a title of the chapter. Uh, ruthlessly, ruthlessly attempt to eliminate all fundraisers. And then in, in the chapter of the book, it doesn't use the word attempt. So I, I put that in because I'm soft. <laughs> ruthlessly attempt to eliminate all fundraisers. It's basically about competition. Because um, it just can be confusing for parishioners mm-hmm. about there's all there's there's script in the back you know script is you know you buy your gift certificates or whatever it's a fundraiser there's the the youth group is uh, doing some fundraising over there or don't forget to buy your candy bar and, and don't forget and, and so what they did was they they just like anything that's sort of confusing and competing for that that sunday tithe and again it's not just about raising money it's about being focused on on this act of worship because because giving can be an act of worship and and that giving the at the place where you worship uh, that can be the most meaningful place where you you give of of this stuff called money that's such a part of our lives. It's like giving your livelihood away. Um, so they just want to kind of eliminate that. Now uh, they they even got rid of their poor box. <gasps> oh, why would they get rid of their poor box? We we have a, a good one at uh, at Saint Cecilia's because uh, and I've seen people put money in it. Uh, they said so they got rid of it, and because uh, like, when they counted it, it was just like a hundred bucks, whatever, a month or something. Like it didn't really add up to very much at all. So they just decided that they were going to give like one or 2% of their total income every month. So they were going to tithe to the poor and everybody knows that. So it's just, it makes it easier uh, to, to, to give it away uh, as a, as a parish. And it doesn't become this distracting thing. So they end up giving a lot more to the poor as a parish than they ever did before with the, with the poor box. Okay. So let me, but let me, let me like just throw a little challenge out here. So I get it. Like you don't want to distract. Um, you don't want to like divide. If you can keep people's attention focused on Sunday giving, they may give more, but sometimes fundraisers are fun. Sometimes they're community building. Sometimes they're, um, and sometimes like people are like, uh, it's necessary. Like we don't feel like we're going to make it without fundraisers. Like what would you say? What would you say to them? Well, I think there's uh, okay. There's some fundraisers that are expressions of of ethnic or community identity, right? It's mm. it's just who we are. It's what we do. Uh, what's uh, the one at St. Stan's? It's the is it the Polish po- festival? Polish fest. I'm yeah. guessing. I would think that that's actually raises uh, most of their um, their income. <laughs> that's how they pay their priest. They don't have mm. any. Other, they don't have a lot of parishioners there, so that that pays for a lot <laughs> of their bills. Um, and because people are from all over and you can't, can't imagine ever getting rid of that because it's, it's, it's fun for the community. And it's just, mm-hmm. um, but there are, let's just be honest. Uh, there are some fundraisers are just like people they are like, they suffer through it. Nobody really wants to do it. Nobody wants to be there. Nobody wants to put it on. Um, and it just, uh, it, it becomes sort of a, a big distraction. I just, and it really doesn't make all that much money. And I've been sort of part of so many stupid fundraising Mm -hmm. uh fundraising planning meetings where we're we're talking about we got to get that that next generation well how come they're not stepping up to help out you know why they're not stepping up because nobody wants to do it you don't want to do it and you're stuck with it and they're just kind of waiting for it to end like somebody needs to shoot it and let it die well i mean can i just pile on here like one of my one one of my greatest complaints about my old school grateful for um 
the relatively few fundraisers at uh, St. Bernadette's, but my old school, like they would have all these, like the magazine sales and the candy bar and the pizza and the cookies. And they had all these things. And worst of all, they started to manipulate my children, you know, sort of like, okay, we're not going to do it. But, but mommy, our whole class is going to get a pizza party. I'm the only one who hasn't sold my tickets. And I'm like, okay, fine. Call grandma. You know, I mean, it was just like, it was so frustrating because it was distracting. It's like, I want to give because I love this community and I love the way these teachers are caring for my kids. I'm finding, I find the Lord here. I don't want these cookies. I'm not going to read the magazine. Uh, anyway. How many families have just ended up buying all the candy bars themselves anyway? I ate most <laughs> of the candy bars I was supposed to sell. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to pay for these too. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. really, I think it sabotages our, our loyalty and, and it misses the chance. I think what you were talking about earlier to actually teach people how to manage money. I mean, if we have any perspective about this, even the right, the like middle class in the United States, even the lower class of the United States, we're the wealthiest people in the history of humanity. I mean, Solomon in all his splendor didn't have microwave burritos. <laughs> and, and yet, you know, we, we have air conditioning and, and like instant food and yet we never feel like we have enough. And gosh, if we can like, if we can actually teach people how to make money a spiritual reality again and how to find the joy of contentment, I, I, th I think they will flock to us because I mean, that's what, right? That's why, that's why people say they get divorced. Money was what divided us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so to kind of tied to that is uh, the second collection. It's everybody's favorite second collection. I know a lot of parishes actually have gotten rid of the second collection. Uh, I didn't do it a whole lot at St. Ledger's, mostly because I forgot, and uh, and I didn't have good volunteers. I mean, I had good volunteers, but I was not a good leader of them, I would say. I forgot to tell them. Oh, but they, it was sort of like scrambling at the last minute, like, oh, shoot, we have <laughs> second collection. Uh, Check the third drawer in the closet. There's a, <laughs> yeah. There's baskets there. So kind of what we we moved into, and this is what the Church of Nativity did, is is just let people know what they are in the bulletin. Uh, and everybody's got the envelopes anyway. All those second collections are pre-planned for the year. So it's on the envelope. Um, there's no reason why you have to do two collections. Nobody really likes it anyway. Uh, those, the, the dollar collections and whatnot, like it doesn't really make that much money. Uh, but I've seen, you know, some parishes have paid off their, their mortgages with it. But I, again, it, it's, uh, first of all, who carries money in their, in their wallets, their cash anymore? Not many of us. And it's a sort of like, we, when we kind of pass the basket and we have, we, we give our, our dollar bills and our change, are we really just tipping God? Hey, thanks God. Yeah. Good. You did a great good job one. today. Here's a tip. Uh, so that's not what giving is really supposed to be about, right? It's this, this is offering of myself, not a tip for somebody like, you know, I got my haircut the other day and gave a very large tip. It was a sacrificial offering <laughs> to the, the hairstylist nice. who, who did a wonderful job. But um, I think uh, if we have to put on a song and dance to get people's money, then we're not really raising, we're not raising givers. We're, we're just really interested in raising funds. And I think the church should be in the business of raising givers, which just means raising, raising disciples, people who want to give of themselves totally and completely because Jesus has given himself totally and completely to us. So anything that sort of mocks that and gets in the way of that, I just don't want to be a part of it. Uh, I want to just, I want to eliminate those things. So will I be bold enough to eliminate a second collection all the time? Will I be bold enough to eliminate those fundraisers that everybody hates? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I just, I don't want to make any promises here because uh, I'm kind of a wuss just to be 
full disclosure. Well, <laughs> but I, you know, I read a great book and uh, these things. Now, if I get a team around me who believe in me, who not just believe in me, but believe in the same things I believe in, then I think we can get it done because there'd be so much pressure to cancel some of these things. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm sorry. So I, I, I get it. I want to ask just like maybe one layer deeper, like part of it was, okay, you're like, I don't want to be that priest, right? I don't want to be the money priest. I don't mean the one, but like, um, and you're just like, okay, I don't want to show favoritism, but why else do you think, like, why do we struggle to ask? Like, why do we struggle to ask people to give? Uh, I think it's, it's, uh, we're afraid to ask for anything. You know, we, we, we're, we're used to uh, guilting and manipulating, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so we can get, we're good at the guilt homilies and we're, we're good at sort of manipulating people out of their money by selling magazines or doing, you know, the fundraisers and, and, and that, that kind of put on a, a song and a dance for, for folks. But I, I just don't think we're like, if you really want to engage people, you have to set expectations. It's, it's sort of the rule number one of engagement, set expectations, mm-hmm. whether you're an employee or, or a manager of an employee or, or running an organization, uh, you'll get more if you ask more. And, and I think we're just afraid of the ask because we're, we're probably afraid of um, people being mad at us. But when we, oh, when we tie rejection. the ask, yeah, yeah, rejection. When we tie the ask in, in the way it's like, no, really the ask is more about your need, not about my need. Mm-hmm. Like the, the need for all of us as human beings, as Christians, to give of ourselves this thing that actually means a lot to us, our money, that, that is a way in which, um, yeah. So I, again, I'm, I'm giving you the sort of the solution, but the problem is, yes, uh, yeah. I'm afraid, I'm afraid of rejection. You know, I, as you said, talk about that. I flash back. Uh, some of, I know uh, our listeners have, you know, they've gone to the global leadership summit, they heard GLS, but I, I think about the talk, I forget the name of the speaker, but the rejection therapy, mm. um, just like he, intentionally made a choice to ask people for things and to ask for ridiculous things because he just recognized so often he would fail to ask for legitimate needs because he was just afraid of rejection. So, so he created this kind of rejection therapy video. Um, we'll find that and we can put that, put a, put a link to his, his video funny. in the show. Notes. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's a great, I won't spoil it, but there's a great, great finish at the end there. But I, I mean, I flashbacked, you know, to my days, uh, as a focused missionary, part of my job was to train young missionaries to fundraise. Mm-hmm. And it was so annoying because you, like, you cannot get focused missionaries to do something they don't believe in. Um, so right, their integrity was kind of frustrating. <laughs> I was like, come on, just do it because I told you to. Um, but it was helpful because I, it forced me to get kind of deeper. And fundamentally, like, they didn't want to ask because they didn't want to be rejected. And they, they didn't want to ask because it felt self-serving. And there were two really key things. One, we started to track how many no's they were getting. Because if they were getting enough people saying, no, not right now, no, thank you, but then we knew they were on the right track because we knew they just needed to ask. And then the second thing is we started to say, hey, this is not a worldly thing that you're doing. And so we assigned them a, a spiritual meditation on Philippians chapter four. Um, at, at the very end of a ton of Paul's letters, Romans, Philippians, a whole bunch of them, uh, he talks about fundraising. I mean, look really closely, right? Right. Paul's a bishop. <laughs> and so he sends fundraising letters. Um, at the end of, uh, at the end of uh, 
you know, St. Paul's uh, annual appeal letter to the Philippians, um, he tells them why he's asking. He says, I've learned the secret to living in plenty and in want, but I want you to give so the credit increases to your account. Like his motivation as a pastor was, I want you to share in the blessing and the reward of literally, right, the first evangelization uh, mission. And he's like, I want you to share in that. So my motivation is like, I don't need your money, but you need to give. And so I'm asking you as your pastor to give because you need it and because God's going to credit that to your heavenly account. Yeah, and I think if you get, let's imagine more and more people do that in a whole parish and they're all taking on that attitude. You know, the more, the more we connect money and discipleship, the healthier your parish becomes like spiritually, but also the healthier it gets in in its finances. So the two come together and you can just sort of see the kingdom impact just grow beyond those walls. And, and uh, yeah, I I think, you know, the biggest thing for me is maybe the great motivator. I I talked about the mission, like, because, because the mission is crucial. So whatever it takes, um, I, I think when I was in my tiny parish out there in Creighton, Nebraska, a town of 1,200 people, you know, I didn't have any staff, and and uh, and I, but but I, I always felt limited. I, I couldn't I couldn't accomplish what I really wanted to accomplish, and I and I always thought if if we ever had to cluster, you know, like if we had to take on Verdigree and Bloomfield, and and I that none of that stuff happened when I was there. That's why I left. So then I made them do it. Uh, but when I was there. I, I kind of thought, well, if we, went, we went up to Verdigree, we're doing good stuff here in Creighton. If we went up there, I think we kind of plant ourselves or plant the, the our ministry within their their parish. But I thought, well, I don't know if I have time to do that. But I, uh, and I don't know if like the people who are, who are with me on my leadership team, they had full-time jobs. One worked at a bank, one was a dental hygienist, one was a, like a full-time stay-at-home mom. Uh, so like, yeah. so what I really realized was that if we really wanted to grow the ministry, you need money. And, and I, I once told the archbishop, I said this in the blog, and I feel stupid about saying it now. Uh, I said something like, well, you don't really need money to spread the gospel. And you know, of course, I, he didn't roll his eyes, but he might have in his heart. I'm not sure. Because uh, <laughs> uh, it's sort of true, but it's, only, it's, it's one of those half truths. Like, no, if, if you really want to expand the kingdom, you'll need ministers. And, and you'll might, you might need like missionary, full-time missionaries working with you to help you on that mission. Yeah. Um, so volunteers are an indispensable. But like I said earlier, like if I wasn't always the great leader of, of the volunteers because I was Mike, I had a lot of volunteer yeah. groups, but you know, the, they're a lot more effective when they're guided and shepherded by, by a paid professional staff. Um, that's just, yeah. uh, so the, the, the growth means uh, as a, as a pastor, you can only, you can only do so much. So you have to create new other shepherds. And if you want to mm-hmm. grow your shepherding, you're going to need some money for that. So that's, that's why it's just money means growth. Uh, ministry needs money. And, yeah. and, uh, and I'm really interested in growth because I think Jesus is. Yeah. Well, I mean, St. Paul, St. Paul thought so too. I mean, you look at like, again, you talk about like how much Jesus talks about money in the gospels, but look at Acts of the Apostles and look at the letters of Paul. Paul is, and sometimes those get cut out when we do our readings at mass, but like Paul is, asking for money and teaching about money. And in Acts of the Apostles, I mean, a big chunk of that is like these gifts that are being given and the community's generosity. That's one of the signs that the spirit is at work and there's something supernatural happening in this community. 
Yeah, we want to be fruit farmers, not just uh, seed sowers, right? We want to see fruit. Okay. So what about any, any closing, closing advice here? I think I, I said all the great things, all the insightful. I've, I'm out. I'm done. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, it, we're at 4.45 minutes. So okay. I think this is a, a good conversation. Yeah, it's real good. I, I'd throw out one other thing, right? Meditating on Philippians chapter four, roughly, right? Start in verse 13. Um, I'd also say 1 Corinthians 9. Um, Paul kind of goes on this, this rant of all the things that he's proud of. And th that's the place where he says, you know, he, sa he says, uh, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. It, it's funny because he's not proud. He, the thing he's most proud of as an apostle isn't that he preaches the gospel. He's like, no, actually, I had to do that. Jesus told me I had to. It's like, what I'm proud of is that I fundraise. I, I give it away for free. Um, and that's just mind blowing. And I think worth like, if, you know, if you're struggling with like, you know, if you're a minister, a development director, you know, pastor, whatever, and you're struggling with, with like giving and receiving and fundraising, like, man, let the word of God reach in and change your attitudes. Uh, and those are two of my favorite places to go. Great. Yeah. I think it all can be uh, purified in our hearts. I was just thinking about, you know, you're asking that question about, um, why am I afraid to ask for money? I, I think money is sort of a dirty thing. I th maybe mm -hmm. grew up with that attitude. Like it's, you don't ask people how much money they make or how, you know, like, so I grew up in kind of in the yeah. farming culture. Like you never ask how many, how many acres somebody really has. You, oh, I thought you, you were saying it's a dirty thing. Like there's germs. I no, like, now you know, it's that, like, there's that. No, that's just, just like, there's something, yeah. something, you know, like it's kind of like sex, like every like everybody's doing it, um, but you never talk about it, right? Right. <laughs> so everybody's got money, but you don't really talk about each other's money. And you're like, mm, that's, I think I'm just uh, I'm yeah. uncomfortable. So I think whatever aspect of it is, we all need some purification in that. And the way in which, whether it's sex or whether it's money, they, they can be curses or they can be beautiful blessings. Right. Well, and so, God actually has quite a bit to say about both. Exactly. In fact, is that our next? Me. Is that our next episode, Father? Next episode is about neither. <laughs> so, oh, say. No more dirty, dirty shows. We're going to talk about church online next week, uh, the digital church. Because uh, I, I am afraid. Not afraid. I'm kind of excited about the future. Um, what what I, I think we realize is that we're not all going to be rushing back at church if your church is opening. It's going to be a long time before we ever get back to last year's mass attendance numbers. I, I think I don't know if we'll ever be able to do it. Uh, and so we're going to have to figure out a, a better way to uh, connect with people online on the online church and it's a church. The online church doesn't have to be a supplement for what we're doing in person. Mm -hmm. It can actually be where church happens. And we're seeing that happen in a lot of different places uh, uh, throughout the country where the online church is really effective. So that'll be next week's. Uh, yeah. And discussion. everybody's, everybody's asking that question. So, you know, somebody who, uh, who wants to tune in next week, who's kind of starting to wrestle with that question. Uh, we'd love them to be part of the discussion. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll be again back here uh, next week on Friday at uh, 3.30. And uh, really appreciate everyone being here. Thanks for the lively chat room. I, mm -hmm. I have just been focusing on, on Jim. And, and uh, so I'm looking forward to going through all of these, these chats here. So mm -hmm. thanks again. Uh, good to see you, uh, Father. Yeah. Uh, and, and all, uh, uh, there's Father Moser just giving some yep. shout outs to my brother priest. So yeah. thanks for being here and uh, share this with uh, your priest, uh, your uh, 
your your parish council or your finance council, whoever needs to hear it. I just think committee. we can have some amazing uh, things happen uh, throughout our parishes. Yeah, and we're going to post those resources in the in the show notes. So go go check out the the Equipcast blog. Yep, equip.archomaha.org. Thank you.